Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, which is life to us and gives us life. I pray that you would open your word to us this morning, that we would hear what you have for us, both individually and as a community. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I know being so close to Charleston, many of us like to go there occasionally. I have a friend who lives on St. John's Island, and the last time I visited her, she took me to see the Angel Oak. So I'm wondering how many of you have seen the Angel Oak or know? Okay, a couple of you. So it is this huge live oak tree. Apparently, it's the largest live oak tree east of the Mississippi. They think it's about 500 years old. And I'm sure that actually probably most of you have seen the Angel Oak because it shows up in a lot of movies, especially movies that feature the South. But it's got these long um, branches that if you're a tree climber like I am, you just want to climb or at least have a picnic underneath. And what I like about this tree is um, when you look at it, you have this sense of age, that it has seen things we've never seen, that it's weathered things that we can't even imagine. And all of that sort of gravitas sits in this tree. So that's a really good picture to have in your mind of Psalm 1, which we're going to talk about today, because Psalm 1 uses tree imagery. If you've not seen the angel oak, you can pick another tree, you know, pick one, but pick one that's large and established and think about that as we work through this text today. Let me just grab my Bible. I was reading one Bible, so I put my other one away. So it's no accident that the psalmist uses a tree as a picture of our faith. The most basic reason for that is a tree is alive, and our faith, our relationship with the Lord, is a living thing. It's also responsive to its environment. You know, a tree will do well or less well, depending on how much light it gets, how much rain it gets. But what gives a tree its stability is its roots. And that's really what I'm going to be thinking about today is uh, the part we don't see underneath, underneath the earth. The other reason I want us to think about trees and the reason the psalmist has us think about trees is because they transcend the moment. They transcend local context. Almost every tree around us is going to outlive all of us. And that also is a symbol of our faith. There's what's happening to us in the moment, but there's also this eternally, eternal quality that we tap into when our roots are in God. So in its structure, Psalm 1 is really a fairly simple and concise passage of scripture. Is that my earring? Okay, let's just solve that for all of us. I want you to know I actually think about that when I preach just because usually I do better than that. They have flowers on them, so they go. Um, so I think what I was going to say is if you want to follow along, it's the psalm that's in the bulletin, and you can use that. So this psalm is only six verses. It's very short. And it functions as an introduction to the entire book of all of the psalms. So if you think of uh, any book you've read where there's an introduction, this psalm is an introduction to the entire book of psalms. It contrasts all the themes that play out over the next 149 psalms. And the, the message contrasting the, the way of the righteous, who are the people of God, with the way of the wicked, who are, in this case, people who don't follow God, is restating Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 through 30 is a very famous passage. 
in which Moses is laying out for the people their future. They're about to enter the promised land, and he says to them, if you are faithful to the Lord in the land and follow him, all these blessings will come to you. But if you are not faithful to the Lord, all these curses will come to you. And so he says, see, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse, now choose life. And that is echoed, and that should be echoing in this passage um, as we read it together. Now there are, there are two issues of language that we need to deal with right away before we kind of get to the meat of it. Um, the version that we have in the bulletin uses the past tense. Blessed is the man who has walked or stood or not sat in the seat of the scornful. Um, here's your, fee, your freebie Anglican history today. The Psalms that we take from our prayer book use what we call the Coverdale Psalms, which is from uh, 1535. The Coverdale Bible was the first complete translation of the Bible into English. And we use it in our prayer book because it's poetic. And if you're going to set it to music, you want poetry and things like that. But it's an old translation. And so as newer translations that got into the Hebrew and the original languages were developed, uh, they switched to what we call sort of the continual present tense, which is what we have in the English Standard Version. So I'm just going to read you a portion of the English Standard Version so you can hear it. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of, this, of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners or sits, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. So the, the verb tense here is actually something that happens in an ongoing way continually. It happened in the past, but it's happening now. It's going to happen in the future. So that's one quibble I have with what we have in our bulletin, because really it's saying this is a way of life. It's not an event or an episode. The second um, issue of language that I want to deal with up front is the use of the masculine pronoun him, or blessed is the man. When I was in school, I had a professor, my Old Testament professor, who also taught Hebrew. Um, and her famous quote is that to read the scripture not in its original language, to read it in translation, is like kissing your spouse with a bag over your head. You can do it but you lose a lot. And this is one of those moments where, when I was preparing this sermon, I thought about that. Because the Hebrew word uh, used in this is actually um, a representative of a godly person that's not masculine specific. So uh, a better translation is, blessed is the one who walks in the knot in the counsel of the wicked, or blessed is the person. Now again, in English, we have, we're very precise in English. So one of the reasons they translate it this way is because it gets a little unwieldy to say, blessed is the one who walks, he or she will do this, he or she will do that. But I want to just, to have it in your mind, read for you how the New Revised Standard translates this, because I think this is pretty good English translation for, for this idea. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners trod, or sit in the seat of the scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law they meditate day and night. They are like trees planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. Now I just want uh, 
you to have that in your mind, because if you're not a he, this psalm still applies to you. And because one of the things I'm going to recommend is that we read it a lot um, and to begin to take it in personally for our lives, it's okay if it applies to you to say that your delight, her delight, is in the law of the Lord, equally are correct in Hebrew, and that's not unfaithful to the text. All right, now that we've gotten that out of the way, we can go and look at the depth of what the, the point of what the psalm is trying to say to us. And I have another phrase, I'm full of phrases, tiny but mighty. Tiny but mighty is a good phrase for this passage. We've already said that it's contrasting two ways of life. There is the person who delights in the Lord. We sometimes get hung up on the word righteous. We think righteous means someone who never does anything wrong or uh, never sins, and we know that's not us. So it's hard for us to identify the word righteous with ourselves. But our standing in Christ is that we are righteous because Jesus' death on the cross has paid the penalty for our sin. He's taking care of it all. So it's okay for you and I to think of ourselves as righteous ones, not because we have that inside of ourselves, but because Jesus did that work for us so that we could be clean before God. So the righteous person is a person who delights in knowing God and delights in God's word and wants to honor God's ways. And then you have this other person who in the Old Testament is referred to as wicked because the, the view of the Old Testament is that it is right, natural, and good to want what God wants. And so if you don't want, want what God wants, that would be wicked. That's the language of the Old Testament. So this person, there's a progression to their choice. First, the ungodly person walks in the counsel or the advice of other people who are also not looking at what's aligned with God. But then he stops walking and he stands still in the way of the sinners. He's putting, he or, he or she is putting him or herself in a place to be with other people who are not honoring the things God wants. And finally, you see this person sits in the seat of scoffers. There's a choice made to sit in a place where the things of God are not honored. And the scoffing that's implied in verse 1 is scoffing about what God requires and who God is. So it's not that this is a person who has a moment of bad judgment. This is a person who has a way of life, is choosing to walk farther and farther from the things of God. And we find, just like a tree where we see the whole picture and a, a, a timeline that's bigger than one person, we see in the psalm the end of that person. In the end, they are like chaff. Now, for me, chaff doesn't give me a good visual. I like to think of dandelion seeds. You know how dandelions just blow away in the wind. That's the idea of chaff, that these people aren't rooted. They don't have the solidity in the ground of God. And so when adversity comes, or in this case, when judgment comes, the things that they've chosen the things they've built their life on, it blows away like dandelion spores. In this uh, psalm, the word judgment in verse 5 has a very specific meaning. It's the day that all of Scripture talks about when we will see God face to face and have to give an account of our actions. 
And what the psalm is saying is, in that moment, if you have built your life on something else and you come face to face with God, there's a reality check in that moment where you see that the things you have built will blow away like dandelion spores, which is contrasted with those who are rooted in God, whose, whose roots will last. So that's the wicked. And now the righteous are like a tree, but not just any tree. This is a tree planted in the right place, which is by water. If you plant a tree in the desert, the tree's not going to do so well, unless it's a desert tree. But there's not many of those. So in scripture, water is representative of the presence of God, and specifically in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit. So by being planted by water, the tree can draw out of the earth what it needs, regardless of what's going on in the environment around it. And there are three results of having your, your roots in the right place. First, the tree will yield fruit in a regular pattern. And second of all, its leaves will not wither. And third, it prospers in all it does. So when we think about this for us as people, because obviously this is us in this text, um, the idea is that if we're rooted in God, our lives are not unproductive. They're lives that overflow in service and beauty and productivity. What that is is going to look different for each of us, depending on our context. But we're promised that we'll have fruitful lives, lives with meaning and purpose. Second of all, when it says its leaf does not wither, it's me it means that we are given what we need to thrive as people, to have healthy relationships, to do healthy work. Um, and again, the specifics of that, just as there are different kinds of trees, there's different kinds of people. But the promise is that drawing on God makes your life prosper. And the third one, it prospers in all it does. I think it's possible to misuse that in sort of a material of the moment way. And scripture in other places does talk about material blessing. But here it's more talking about the long view, that walking with God prospers who you are as a person and your whole, the whole of your life. So it's, in this moment, less uh, a material prosperity, which we sometimes you know, hear on TV preachers, <laughs> and more of a general sense of well-being in your whole life. So when we follow God and when our roots are planted, we, the summation, we lead spiritually productive lives that lead to more and more life. There's an increasing bounty as we go along. And the end result is, in that moment when we stand before God and have to give an account of our life, which all of us will do, we don't have to be afraid because we've been rooted in the right place all along. Now, the key word in this whole psalm is planted, and that's in verse 3. We've already contrasted the wicked who are walking around where they're not supposed to be. Trees in general, don't get to decide where they're planted. And I think that there's an interesting corollary that, in that to our spiritual lives. Like, you know, trees start out as seeds. They don't walk themselves somewhere and plant them. The Lord plants them somewhere. And then they put down roots. And what I want to focus on for the rest of our time is the roots, because the roots are pretty important. Roots facilitate everything else. They facilitate the leaves. They facilitate the fruit. If you don't have good roots, if your roots get rotten, you're not going to be able to take in the resources that you need. And roots also protect you from the wind. 
Wind can blow and toss you around, but if your roots are good, you're not going anywhere. There, in the early church, if you read the, the writings of early monastics, most of them talk about God as the ground and source of our being. This metaphor and this image is all over the early church writings, coming out of Psalm 1. And just one of them is Julian of Norwich, who um, lived in England, so she's one of our history. Um, she says that God is the source and ground of our being, that idea that God is dirt, that our roots are in. And this can be very easy to see and understand about trees, but it's a little harder to understand a human equivalent, what it means for our lives to be rooted in God. So I'd like to um, just unpack one aspect of that. I have been noticing as I watch TV or YouTube or media streaming, you will see everywhere this message that uh, you should love yourself or believe in yourself. And this message can take many different forms. It can be um, anywhere from stand up for yourself in a business context, assert, ask for what you need at work, to the athletic arena where it usually is don't mind that there's op opposition, just keep practicing, just keep pushing, just visualize your success and your goal and you'll get there. And you'll see in a lot of shows, don't let others define you in friendships or intimate relationships. The point of view in this message of believing in yourself or loving yourself is that the source of identity and value is inside of us as individuals and that we need to decide what that is, who we're going to be, what our value is going to be, that we're not to let anyone else tell us who we are. And yeah, I, sorry, that thought ended. I would just say that, let me, just to summarize that again, is that the message is that we as individuals are the source of our own identity and value. I think it's important to understand a little bit the historical root of that message, because if you look at media and our culture, that really emerged in the 60s and 70s. And if you think about historically what was going on in the period after post-World War, for those of you who like history, it's short if you don't, but it's important. Um, in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot going on. McCarthyism was identifying who was dangerous based on their political beliefs. And then you had the civil rights movement that looked at issues of racial injustice, where there was a lot of conflict about, about that. You had the end of the Vietnam War in the early 70s, which made veterans really a, a disrespected group because the war was so unpopular. And then you also had the women's movement of the 70s, which started speaking about physical and emotional violence in homes. And all of these national conversations brought a lot of conflict and resistance, where whole groups were speaking out about feeling disrespected and messages of value um, in the society as a whole. This was a conversation happening in the whole society. And so as a form of encouragement during those conversations, this message began to emerge. You don't need those other people, whoever they are, who are opposing you. You have value in yourself. Just love yourself. Believe in yourself. Now, as a response to undeserved criticism or just plain meanness, there's some value in this message. 
you know, social media, we talk a lot about online bullying and um, haters, so to speak. And it can be helpful to realize that not every person's opinion is equally important. The words of a total stranger don't necessarily need to be taken as seriously as the words of our closest friends and families. And there may be times to look at internal resources. The problem I have with the message of just love yourself or just believe in yourself or no one can tell you who you are is that most of us, or at least myself included, we don't have those resources in ourselves most of the time or all the time to tell us who we are, to tell us we're good in the face of uh, significant opposition. If I have to be the source of my own identity and value, that's actually a lot of pressure. I am small, I am tired, I get beaten up by life, and I can tell you from my years of doing counseling, that was true of pretty much everybody I met too. My resources are limited. So the contrast we have when we're not our own source, when God is our source, is that God is not small, and God is not limited, and he does not get beaten up by life. Furthermore, you know, our faith often critiques culture, and in our day, this is one of the areas where the messages drawn from around us and the messages drawn from scripture are the most different. For the Christian, what the psalmist says is that the source of our identity and value for, for all people, for us and other people, is not inside ourselves. It is drawn from important relationships. It's drawn from relationships with those we love, but most importantly, it's drawn from our relationship with the Lord himself. We are trees with roots that suck what we need out of the soil in which we are planted, out of the presence of God, out of the dirt of his word. In other words, it is the relationship with the Lord himself um, that gives us our value. And as Walter Brueggemann says, the Lord stays bound to us in loyal ways all our lives for our well-being and for our thriving. Now this difference, this question of is my identity and value something in me that I have to make up, or is it in this relationship with the God who made me that I have to discover and learn by knowing God, changes everything. It's a, it's a pretty big paradigm shift. It means we don't have to try and decide who we are alone and on our own, that there's a God who loves us, who knows who we are and who's willing to help us by pointing out the way he wants us to live. It means when others hurt us, we don't have to try to find the resources in ourselves to feel good about that or make it right. It means we can draw on the Lord for help with forgiving and accepting and working through conflict. And we can come to the one that says, Lord, you value my life and the life of others. How would you have me look at the things going on in my world and in my situation and to speak into that from a rooted place? And that's why the, psalm, the psalmist refers to meditating on God's law day and night. We take into account what God wants as revealed in scripture to help guide and inform our path. And that, again, is an ongoing process. Ephesians has a very succinct verse, find out what pleases the Lord. It's something you do over the course of your lifetime, but you don't have to do it by yourself. 
Now, um, there's another prominent Atlanta figure, Charles Stanley, who passed away fairly recently. I used to listen to Charles Stanley on my morning commute in Pittsburgh every morning, his Insight for Living show. And he actually talked quite a bit about Psalm 1. To him, this was one of those key passages of scripture, kind of a touchstone passage, up there with John 3.16, or for us, um, Luke 11, which is the Lord's Prayer. And one of the things that Charles Stanley said about it is, if you're feeling unsure in your walk with the Lord, unsure about um, his nature or how to walk with him, take 30 days and read Psalm 1 for 30 days and see what it opens up for you about God's character, his care for you, about walking with him and what he's asking of you. And so I would commend this as an experiment for you. If you're uh, wondering for a place to just make it practical what to do with this, with this message, um, you can't hurt yourself by reading Psalm, Psalm 1 every day for 30 days. And I would say this is one of those passages, if you like to memorize scripture, that's a good passage to memorize because it's something that comes, comes back again and again to summarizing whole themes of scripture very succinctly. And it's only six verses, so you can do it with your family or as a family. Kids really respond to the tree image. We can all grasp it pretty quickly. The most important thing about the image in this passage is that a tree is a living thing. A relationship is a living thing. It's not static, and it's not, um, it's not a doctrine. It's something alive. But the tree only lives because of where its roots are. And we only ultimately live to the extent that we are rooted in God. I want to close with a verse from Isaiah, which we're reading in the daily lectionary for those of you who follow um, the daily reading plan. We're in Isaiah now, so we're going to come to this verse soon. It says that God wants us to be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. The Lord wants all of us to be the angel oak and to make that of our lives. And so my prayer this morning is that it may be so for each of us and may it be so for us as a community. Amen.